Hi, you guys. Welcome back to Still Figuring It Out. I'm your host, Kirsty, and I am just in full, just like comfy mode right now. I'm recording this on a Saturday night, actually, um, for good reasons why I'm recording this later. Um, but I have just like my blanket wrapped around me. I'm recording at my desk this time. And I might jinx myself, but there is like barely any outside noise coming in. And I've heard from my friends that no, you guys do not hear the noise in the background. It is just me. So my apologies if I get a little wound up about that. I just, I'm a big perfectionist when it comes to things. And like, I love just like making sure that my podcast sounds good to people and they want to listen to it. Um, but um, I was saying that I don't want any like noise in the background and my boyfriend was like you know I'm sending you good energy so that there are no dogs that will be barking and I'm like I hope it works and so I have to give him credit where credit is due so we are one minute in and so far I've heard nothing um I will hold him accountable for it though regardless but yeah I hope you guys you know the same spiel I hope you guys are having a good week whether you're just starting it you're in the middle or you're ending it with me right now and you know we finally made it to the weekend you guys I'm so unbelievably happy um it just felt like another long week um and you know I'm not gonna lie I've I think I've been doing a really good job with like not totally saying how much I just hate my job right now and like been so down about it and stuff but you know sometimes you have good weeks and sometimes you have bad and this was kind of like a one on the ladder it was just felt really stressful for no reason and it's been getting me down more. Um, and I've been trying to do better with that and learn to like not bring it home with me because that's always been something that I always used to do a lot is let whatever was stressing me out at work continue with me at home with the other stuff that I have to do and just making me not want to finish it or do any of that stuff. So I'm trying to do better with that. Um, no promises if it's doing great, but I don't know why I'm like out of breath too. I'm like have water with me so but yeah it's been a good okay week um definitely been having a good weekend so my reason for doing this a little bit later is that I spent the night at my boyfriend's yesterday on Friday and I went down to his um area to his place and we I have to say he is such a trooper um to like do the things that I like doing. He literally sat and watched two hours worth of serial killer documentaries. And like, if you guys know, I've been on such a big like kick of like crime podcasts and crime documentaries and serial killer stuff. And I said to him, like, this is just what makes me calm, oddly enough. Um, but yeah, he was a big trooper on that. And I asked him this morning, I was like, how did you sleep after watching that stuff? And it was terrible because it was like really windy where we were last night. And so like we had the windows open to just like let some air in. And one of the windows in the bathroom kept um, making the door like slam. And we were like, oh, my God, like we should not have watched that with um, knowing that it was going to be windy or not tonight. Like it was it was funny, but it was nice. And then we went out with some of like his friends and like our friends together. We went out in like his area and it was so nice today you guys I don't know like where you live but if you live on the east coast like near where I live it has been so nice these past few days like it was so nice on Friday even though I spent it basically all inside at work but there was like one moment I got to go outside and just like breathe in fresh air which was so needed and necessary so yeah that was fun to do um so I got home around like 3 30 ish because it takes an hour to get back home from where I am to his um and I honestly I came home and I just went into bed because I was tired I think like not to be like dramatic I think just like spending time with a lot of different people like tires me out and I'm like I need just some time for myself so I watched some YouTube videos I went on TikTok I ate and now I'm here so that's been interesting um my beer summit update. Let's talk about that. We are winding down on it. Actually, we have three more times we are going three weeks left. 
um next this week coming up is saint patrick's day and it's the day that we usually go on so we're actually planning on going the day before because we're like it's gonna be busy so we're just gonna go on the tuesday instead which is totally fine um we've been doing this thing for the past couple weeks where we decide to wear sweatpants to the bar like bar um restaurant and let me tell you guys it is a game changer wearing just like a matching sweat set or like sweatpants in general life-changing the best hack i didn't know it took me this long to do it why are you going to be cute at a bar if you're going to be drinking a lot and you're going to be eating food and you're just going to feel bloated and uncomfortable and you know what the last time i wore jeans to that bar i kid you not i took my belt off and put it into my purse because i was just so uncomfortable and i was wearing skinny jeans and to be perfectly honest those jeans don't really fit me that well anymore i literally went through my closet I think like last week I'm gonna go through it again more like tomorrow I want to say and I just like tried on some of my jeans I'm like you know what these aren't gonna fit me anymore and I'm not going to feel sorry about it I'm not gonna feel upset about it because honestly they didn't fit me well even before I started gaining weight or started working out so why am I keeping them in my closet so that was that but we've been doing like these themes like we'll wear sweats but then last week we did like a Taylor Swift theme so my friend and I actually wore the same uh tour shirt like this same from the same tour but like different shirts that we went to because it was the last Taylor Swift tour we went to before everything happened and now I think this week it's going to be another concert one but sweats always just saying like even after the fact like when things get more to normal like sweats all day it's just so much more comfortable even if you're like so drunk you can just go to bed right in that like even go so far as like not wearing makeup like my friend was like I do my whole skincare routine before I come to the bar and come to here that way I don't have to worry about it at night and I always think to myself I'm like that sounds so much that sounds much smarter than what I do and I just keep it all on still and then I come home and I'm like oh my god this is like painstakingly taking forever when I still have to do all of that but yeah just some just some things you guys you know why why are we going to impress people when we can just feel good about ourselves maybe feeling good about ourselves is doing our skincare and not wearing makeup and wearing sweats but still being cute and feeling good about ourselves so that's just a new thing new things i've learned um my best friend's gifts finally all came in for his birthday he doesn't listen to my podcast so i don't have to worry but in case he does to my best friend don't listen to this part um i got him this keychain um i think i had talked about this actually i talked about it in another episode but it finally came in and it came out so cute and i'm so excited to give it to him his birthday is at the end of march last day of march actually so i'm excited for that um i also started a new book we're back on the reading track i actually have slipped a little bit lately but i was really gearing on it the beginning of this week i'm reading the book it ends with us by colleen hoover which a lot of people have said recommended to me like books by her and i have to say it is a really good book but i do want to just preface um if you do want to pick it up and read it that there are um scenes about domestic violence so just proceed with caution with that and just know that there are trigger situations that happen in the book so just a little warning it is a good book and she's a good author so i'm definitely going to be purchasing more of her books in the future um yeah the rest of the weekend is pretty chill i think tonight after this i just have to do some other things and you know maybe take a bath maybe not maybe read i don't know just chill sundays are usually my same laundry food shopping um nothing really out of the ordinary clean my room uh workout shower but the grammys are on tomorrow night which i'm very excited about if you know you know i'm a swifty true at heart i have so many manifestations about her doing good i'm just excited to see her perform i really am and i'm just excited to see what she's gonna wear you know i'm hoping that she'll walk away with multiple wins even if she wins something i'll be really happy i think folklore is such an amazing album and it deserves all the recognition it's been getting so i'm hoping that but i have 
really, really, really good news. And it feels really crazy for me to talk about this. Um, but I got a new job. I am going to be a paid writer for a full-time job. It is remote. It is work from home. And I got the email about it. Um, so I applied to it about a couple weeks ago and then they replied back and I went to the next steps, which was doing like a mock-up of like a writing sample. And I worked on that for two days, like a couple hours a day. Like I did it, started it that night before and then I finished it that afternoon. I did it for like three hours, making sure it was perfect. And I got the email back that week after on the Monday. So this past Monday saying that I got the job and I got it actually, I found it out on my last break at work when I was just going through my phone and I was in so much shock, honestly, because I, you know, these past four years have been hard, um, rewarding, but also hard when it comes to finding jobs with writing. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, like you have this degree, what are you going to do with it? And when I say, oh, I want to be a writer, they're like, oh, like, well, what are you going to do with that? How are you going to get a job like that? How are you going to pay for stuff with that? And, you know, it's it's possible. And I'm so happy I can tell my younger self, my 22-year-old self who got that degree, that if you keep pushing hard and you keep accepting your internships and you don't get down about rejections and, you know, you work your ass off in grad school, you know, good things will happen to you. And it's so funny how just so much has been coming together in my life. That's been so good. I constantly finding myself want to pinch myself or knock on wood to like not let it end. But I, I just want to say like 2021 has been a good year so far, even though it's been three months. Um, it's It's been good. I'm happy about it. You know, it hasn't been perfect. I've been struggling a lot with, you know, accepting my age. But, you know, there's there's a lot of good things that outweigh the bad sometimes. And I have really good people in my life right now. I have good opportunities and I have much more things to look forward to. And I have this I'm doing right now. And I have you guys who are listening to this wherever you are right now. You know, this brings me so much joy and I love being able to talk to you guys. And it, it, it does bring me just so much joy. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. I don't want to give away like company names or anything like that, but I am very excited. So that's was something else I had to do tonight was just like fill out some forms and like put in my availability and stuff. And then I have to have that conversation with my manager on Monday about doing that. Cause I'm not going to completely quit my other job. I'm going to stick with doing like two jobs for now. And then once I get the hang of, you know, my new job, I'm going to, you know, eventually quit that job, but I want to be accountable to have two jobs right now, you know, just in case, you know, maybe it doesn't work out, but I did it and I can say I tried. So yeah, a lot of good things, you know, I say it was a long week, but there are also good things sprinkled in with it. And you know, I love ending my weeks getting to see people that make me happy and make me feel content and help me stay calm amidst a lot of chaos that could ensue. So good all around. But yeah, let's let's get into this segment, you guys. Um I am not gonna go into you know, reading what I did last week. Um and I also just wanna say I've gotten so many good things from doing this. I honestly thought this was going to be a complete flop. I thought that because of feeling uninspired, this would just be a throw in for this month and I wouldn't have anything good. But, you know, a lot of people were excited about it, which now made me excited about it. And so just just thank you. I thought this project that I'd done would just collect dust and just hide in my folders and my computer and stuff and never see the light of day. So it feels good that it's getting the recognition it finally and should deserve. So, um, so if you are joining in now, um, I would recommend going to last week's episode to catch up, but to kind of just rehash what I'm doing for this month, I have decided to read my entire thesis in the span of four episodes. Um, so I started last week and I'll do a little recap. Um, and then we'll go into where we ended off and continue obviously, as one does. But um, without giving too much away, um, last week we ended with the big scene of it all just going dark. And this is where things get really good. That's why I wanted to end on that. I love ending on cliffhangers. 
I love it even more when people are like, why would you do that? That's not cool. Like my boyfriend had texted me on Monday. He was like, how dare you leave it on a cliffhanger like that? I must know. And I'm like, I can't give you like the benefits of it. I have to, you have to wait like everyone else does during the week. You know, I can't, I can't give you special privileges. Like that doesn't work. But um, yeah, we ended at a New Year's Eve party that the main characters crashed. One of the main characters, Mauve, found out about James's past and what he's been hiding. And she thinks he's plotting against her. She decides to do things herself. They find some people from the past, come back up, and then things just get a little dark. But we are going to go into it now. And I'm very excited. And I'm going to try to make this not go past like too much of an hour and five minutes. So, you know, let's see what happens. But we will now get into the second reading of Getaway Car. I'm very excited. Chapter 8, July 13th, 1994. He doesn't stop staring at me. His eyes practically bore a hole through me. After James orders another round of old fashions, we sip them in silence. Having just simmered down from the recent encounter of those two men, one whose scar I can't get out of my head, I try my best to figure out just who this person impeccably dressed on a hot summer's day is. I look around the bar, surveying the people around us. Employees wipe down tables for the next group to walk in and take. Girls clink their fruity cocktails together as guys chug down their $3 beers with a taste as cheap as the price. But you don't come around this area for the price. You come down for the experience. I'm halfway through my drink when he speaks. You're probably wondering why I'm still sticking around here, aren't you? He asks. His elbow props up on the table with his hand cupped to his face. He stares at me. With those blue eyes, they can make anyone confess their sins. They're clearer than the ocean. I put my glass down on the wooden table, already sweating from the water that drips down from my glass. I was actually wondering when you would leave, I say, looking towards the door. It seems your friends have left you, so you're free to go and do what you please. I take another sip. But it doesn't feel nice this time. It's sour going down. And cheap. He laughs at my observation. His voice is enough to break through the glass. You think you have me figured out, don't you, Mauve? He asks. He brings his arm a little closer to mine, separating the space between us. I look down from him and smile. I have my ways of knowing people, I say. Every person I meet, whether it's through a heist or in my life, I never have a hard time understanding. It's not the person you have to worry about. It's their stories and perceptions of them that don't always measure up. James takes another sip of his drink. Tell me who I am, he says, moving the glass back and forth between his hands. Excuse me, I ask. My eyebrows furrow. Go on, humor me, he says, leaning back against his chair. You say you have your ways with knowing people. Let's see what you know about me. He doesn't say a word. More people start coming in as they start pulling up and taking the empty bar chairs that are near us. But James remains still. I have what is left of my drink and slide it to the other end of the bar table. I think you have a dark side of you. But you hide it well through nice clothes and a stuck-up demure that can almost come off as approachable, I say, motioning for the waiter to do his job and get me another drink. He leans in towards me until our knees almost brush up against each other. Go on, he says. You had a cozy childhood with some fuck-ups sprinkled in, but you manage well on your own once you're old enough to. You run away from troubles instead of facing them head-on, I say. The words come out easier each time. Our drinks come and I have another big gulp before I continue. James keeps his eye on me, never looking away. And in conclusion, he's ready for me to sum him up. I have my... I saved my best for last. You hide who you are to the ones you care about because you have secrets you don't share to save them the trouble of helping you. I explain. My words are starting to not make sense to me and coming out fuzzy. Because you don't want to hurt them through the mistakes you've made. This time he doesn't stay still. Instead, taking his glass and finishing it off. I cringe at how easily it goes down for him. He looks back at me again, and this time a smile creeps up slowly on his face. Then he laughs, but it isn't a laugh like before. It almost sounds sad. You, Mauve, 
Sure have a hell of a way with words, he says, raising his glass in salute. Cheers. Reading people is something I'm good at. Born with the talent. Using it in my profession helps me and hurts me, because even when you get the truth spot on, it doesn't make the feeling any less good for the person or yourself. Chapter 9, Present Day I remember waking up, but not where I am. The room is dark, except for the faint light flickering on and off every so often. My eyes adjust to the small area. Nothing in it, except for some boxes in the corner, a tall filing cabinet, and a long table with a couple of sets of chairs. The windows are high up, but the darkness outside lets me know it's nighttime. I see snowflakes make their way down from the sky. There's a throbbing pain coming from my temple, from the temples of my head. I reach my hands towards it and try to rub my fingers in a circular motion. It doesn't do anything. That's when I realize after I pull them away from that, there's a red liquid now covering the tips of my fingers. Blood. I don't even have to smell it to know. How did it get there is a million dollar question. Before I even get the chance to come up with my own answer, It shows up right before my eyes. The door to the room opens and two people walk in. Their ties are loosened, jackets are off, and their shirt sleeves are rolled up. I shift in my seat as they close the door and walk over to me. Should we start by saying Happy New Year, one of them asks? I still can't tell them apart in the room yet. That's when it dawns on me that I have no idea where I am right now. The last thing I can remember is hearing gunshot and everything after that is fuzzy. My head is still throbbing, but at that moment I do a double take in the room, and when I see it's just us three, I'm reminded of one person. Where's James, I ask. My voice shakes, both from the cold and fear. I look down to see my same dress from the night before, add in a couple of drink stains and rips at the hem. They come closer to me, and I can see them better now. The one with the scar talks. He's in a much better place now, ma'am, he says. The way he smirks makes me want to add another scar to the other side of his face. But ever since James and I first encountered them a few years ago, they seem to know more about him than I do. And from the looks of it these past 24 hours, they're not good memories. I leap out of my chair and get up close. Tell me where he is, I say. I bite down on my lip to not tempt myself from making a potential mistake. He laughs in my face. I'm afraid I can't do that for you, he explains. I do everything I can not to scream. Though that isn't worth it. It can only add to my pounding headache. I sigh and release a breath. Fine. But can I at least get out of here, I ask. I don't even know why I'm in here and James isn't. I'm the innocent one. Then I remember the jewel and me holding it at one point. Now it's nowhere to be found. At least not in this room. The other guy looks at me and shakes his head. We can't do that just yet, he says, walking over to one of the chairs at the table and pulling it out. Until we get some answers. They both look at me for a second. They both look at me and for a second I consider how fast I can run with these heels onto the door and out of this room. I pull up a chair from the other side of the table, sit down, and place my hands down. What do you want to know? I ask. The desperations in my eyes is almost embarrassing, but if it's enough to get me out and away from these guys, then it's worth every truth I have to spill. They hesitate for a minute, unable to believe someone like me is willing to do something like this, to go against someone I love and put his life in even more danger than it already is. I guess they don't know the person I can be. For most of my time in this business, my partner is myself never needing another person by my side. We're PIs, and have been working on cases for over a decade now, he continues, and your companion James here has been on our hit list for the last five years. For a second, I don't know how to react to what I hear. I know James has a past. I know he did the first time I met him. But to hear it from other witnesses is something I'm afraid to admit, because now I have no other way to see it isn't true. 
I fold my hands over and shake off what they say as if it's old news. I knew James had a past. That isn't news to me if you were trying to scare me, I say. My fingers tap lightly on the table. They both look at me like I'm stupid. Maybe I am for being with him, but love can make you do crazy things sometimes. Did he ever talk to you about the things he's done, he asks. Not too much, I say, my fingers still tapping. He said he didn't want to bring up bad times. They both look at each other and smirk, a look that makes my spine tingle and hands get sweaty. They turn back and the other guy clears his throat. So you don't know he's a wanted criminal who is facing jail time and possibly worse. He says it like it's an everyday occurrence. I don't want to show them that I'm shaking, that my dress is sticking to my back from the sweat. I stop tapping my fingers, no longer feeling like I have this under control. Because the one person I trust just had all of his skeletons fall out of his closet right onto this table. The stale air fills my lungs. I'm sorry. I don't seem to understand what you're saying, I say. My idea of playing the dumb girl can usually get me far when I want to know something, but these guys play the same field as me when it comes to figuring someone out. It's not that hard to follow, the guy with the scar says, adjusting his tie, but with him leaving you so out of it, there's a reason for him doing that. My head is pounding harder than before with all of this new information being thrown at me. I just don't get it, I plead. All this time, thinking James is the one protecting me from danger, when in reality, I'm the one protecting him from life or death. I feel the start of tears welling inside the corners of my eyes. Before I can stop them from spilling out, they come streaming down both sides of my face. The other guy starts to talk this time. Listen, we don't want to hurt you. As long as you follow and do what we ask you, we can let you go, he explains. I wipe my face with the back of my hand and look at them. There's no other time besides now where I didn't care what a couple of men think of my appearance. Women are always attracting the wrong kind of people as it is. Might as well scare them away when you have the chance. I'll tell you anything. But it's not like what I've been told hasn't been a lie itself, I say, my face still stinging from the colds. We understand, but we'll take what we can get at this point, he says. I adjust myself in the metal chair and sit upright. Okay. What do you want to know first? We stay in that room until the sunrise. The talking doesn't stop even when the sounds of cars honking and people walking along the sidewalks bring the city back to life. They ask me all different questions. Some I can answer, others I hesitate. No topic is off the record. Questions like his history and childhood, our relationship and some of our heists. I tell them what they want to hear, and by the end of it all, my eyes are barely hanging on and my jaw hurts. It isn't until the sun is shining through from the window that I can finally get a good look at the two of them. Their eyes are glazed over, and their skin is very dull wrinkles around their hands and faces. Their age shows with some more years to add on. Their job isn't easy. Then again, what job is? But I guess when you spend almost half a decade searching for just one person, it can put a toll on anyone. Just when I think it's about time to wrap up, we've been talking for hours. The guy with the scar lays down another last question. Did James ever make you feel unsafe to be around him or in a situation that made you feel like your life was at risk, he asks. I take a few minutes to think about it. I think back to all of our times together, whether we are on a heist or just sitting at our place enjoying each other's company. There isn't any instance that comes to mind at that moment. James is a lot of things, but one thing he's not is a dangerous man. I rub my eyes. No, not that I can remember, except for last night, of course, I say. I rub the temples of my head again. The pain has lessened but has gone into my eyes. Exhaustion. I can hear my bed calling my name. Then I remember it's the bed we share together and he isn't there. 
I don't know where he is. Are we done here? I'd like to go home now, I ask them. They look back and forth between me and themselves. I think we've done enough for today, he says as he gets up out of his chair. The other guy follows suit. I go to get out of mine and try to race out before them when he grabs hold of my arm. But this isn't the last you've seen of us, he explains. I'm not completely out of it yet to know something isn't right. I go to pull myself away from his grip. And what exactly does that mean, I ask. My voice raises a little bit. He lets go of my arm and wipes his hand along the side of his pants. We're letting you go for now, but that doesn't mean we're done with you, he says, making his way to the door. He takes out a key from his pocket and unlocks the door. I stay in place, my dress feeling like it's drowning me with its weight. Are you threatening me, I ask? My face hot and hands bunch into a fist as my nails dig into my skin. He opens the door and I feel a gust of cold air surround me. The snow is no longer falling. Before he goes outside to follow the other guy, he turns back around towards me. Just keep your mouth shut and don't try to find James and you'll be fine, he says, his stupid smirk showing all across his face. He exits the room with the door wide open as I stand in the middle of the room. My mind is racing in every direction possible. The last 24 hours become a foggy memory. I make my way out of the room, and I pick my jacket up from the floor now that I can find it hitting in the corner. With no money on me since my clutch is no longer my possession, I begin to long, I begin the long walk home. Maybe it's the cold or my head feeling dizzy, but in the back of my mind, the one memory I have of James making me fear for my life is suddenly clear. Chapter 10 February 7th, 1996. It's nighttime. Close to midnight. I get to the top of the stairs as James unlocks the door to our place. The air is non-existent in the hallway, but once I step inside, it doesn't make any better. Our landlord doesn't care about anything when it comes to the building. He's a 75-year-old who complains about our city when all he wants is to move back to his hometown, the Bronx. But I learned early on that he's starting to go out of his mind. His wife told me when I was smoking outside one night waiting for James to get home. How it started a few years ago around the time when we first moved in here. She thought it was just mood swings, but then he forgot her name and what door was theirs. Alzheimer's a real bitch, she tells me, as she laughs and wipes a tear coming down her face. I can't imagine. I take one more drag and hand it over to her. She smiles back and takes it. I hope you never have to go through something as terrible as that, she says, and takes one long drag. Probably the only moment of calm she's experienced in a while. I look out at the street, with the cars rushing down and people walking by. Me too, I say. James puts his coat along the back of the chair and goes into the fridge to grab a beer. Even at this time, he can find any excuse to get a buzz. He goes to hand me one, but I shake my head. Between running and driving around the entire city, she end up empty-handed. It makes me want nothing more than the comfort of my side of the bed. I start to move towards the bathroom to get ready for bed, but James intercepts my chance with an embrace. Phew, what a day, he says. I enjoy the warmth of his skin against mine. The tiny hairs coming in on his chin tickles my face. Yeah, I think I'm just going to head to bed, I say. His grip tightens a bit and then loosens a few seconds after. A small gesture he always does for me. Good night. I'll see you in there soon, he says and kisses me on the forehead. He releases and I get a chance to look him in the eyes. They're glazed over in red. Crow's feet are starting to sprout in the corners. He needs sleep, but the television is calling. I can already see what's going to happen. Before I know it, it's morning. I'm going to be coming out of the bedroom to see him sprawled out on the sofa with a few bottles piled on the floor. But I just go over with the mug of black coffee hot in my hands and the smell of it alone wakes him up. It's normal. It's what I tell myself. I make my way to our bedroom and shut the door. 
for a moment we only for a room we only used to sleep in, it's pretty messy. The nightstand is full of cigarette butts in the ashtray, clothes all over the floor, curtains lopsided. There's a stain on the rug, like a tiny birthmark. I step over it. I go to the closet to hang my coat up. There's barely any room to fit anything anymore, and it's starting to fall apart. I try to hang the coat up, but the top shelf has other plans. Before I can move out of the way, one side collapses and falls to the floor. I'm too much in shock to make any noise. I hear a knock at the door. Everything all right in there, Mom? James asks. I look at the mess on the floor, a few boxes scattered with some old photos, books caked with dust. I start picking everything up. I'm fine, just being my usual clumsy self is all, I say, putting one box right side up and neatly stacking the photos back in it. I hear his feet move until they no longer make any noise. I continue folding the clothes and put the books back in their box. I go to put one of the boxes back up there when the bottom comes undone, and I find myself surrounded by an even bigger mess. I attempt to put it into the closet and close it, and that's when I feel something hard hit against my foot. I reach down to find it, thinking it's just an old picture frame. I push away the clothes and pictures and see a small gun looking at me. I gasp. I'm not afraid of guns. I've grown up with them. That's what you get for being the younger sister with two brothers and a tough-as-nails father. But seeing this here on the floor, hidden in a box for I don't know how long, makes my stomach sink. I don't even want to touch it. Too afraid to see if it's loaded. But then I hear the television turn off and footsteps walking into the bathroom. So I throw the gun into the box and push it all the way into the back of the closet. I quickly change out of my clothes and into one of his shirts I find on the floor, turn the lamp off, and pull the covers over me. The door opens and James climbs into bed. He wraps his arms around me like he always does before bed and kisses my cheek. I love you, he says. I can't respond so I pretend to be asleep, my eyes wide open as they face the closet. His embrace is normally the place I feel most safe. Now all I fear is terror. Chapter 11, Present Day After what feels like hours, I make it back to his place. The snow is starting to fall again. I can barely feel my hands. I see the landlord's wife sitting outside on the steps smoking bad habit she's picking up more ever since the last visit to the doctors didn't bring back good news for her husband. I walk up the steps and she looks up at me and her face gets tight like when you eat a lemon. You look like hell, she says. Her assumption is better than mine since I haven't looked in a mirror since yesterday. I laugh and she offers me a hit of her cigarette. Well, happy New Year's to you too, I say. I don't know how I can be so calm. I take a long drag into it. When I let it out, it's the first feeling of relief in a long time. I go to hand it back to her, but she shakes her head and takes out a new one to light. You look like you need it more than I do, honey, she tells me. I can't lie about that. As much as I want to go inside and sleep, I find myself leaning down to sit. I can't imagine how hard it is to deal with what she goes through. Oh, I definitely do, I tell her. Her eyes squint when she laughs. The wrinkles surrounding the corners almost fold over. So did you have a good night? You must have on account of your just getting home. She looks me up and down and suddenly I forget the fact that I'm wearing a gown. Very high heels that have left painful blisters all over my feet. And my hair in what can only be described as a chic bird's nest. I can't even begin to start on my makeup too. It was eventful, to say the least, I explain. I take another drag. It's shocking to me that she doesn't bring up anything on the news about the event last night. Then again, she's very old and doesn't know my personal life. Smart lady. Then I remember James isn't with me, and I still don't know where he is. She's talking to me about what she and her husband did last night when I interrupt her before she goes into a tangent about, about, about how bad their takeout food was. 
You haven't seen James around here all, all today, have you? I ask, trying not to make the desperation in my eyes too obvious. She inhales the smoke and shakes her head. Sorry, haven't seen him. She says. I drop my head down and notice my cigarette is at the end, so I place it into the snow. She puts her hand on my shoulder. I'm sure he show up soon. That man's always coming and going, she reassures me. I smile at her. Yeah, you're right. Thanks. I tell her and start to stand up. I'm going to go head to bed now. It's been a long night. I move towards the door. She chuckles. Oh, to be young again, she says, inhaling the last of her cigarette. I say goodbye and head upstairs. The draft in the hallway is almost unbearable. I hug my coat tight against me. We live on the third floor, overlooking another apartment building on the side. All through the curtainless window is a vast display of entertainment, between children running at all hours to parents or young couples screaming at each other. Cut to a couple hours later, and they're screaming at one another in a much different way. No wonder the kids are able to roam freely. I take my way to our door. I make my way to our door and go under the rug outside to find the key I have taped under it. I know, not the smartest hiding place, but with its failure rate on the better side, I stick with what I know. As I go to open the door, I notice a faint crack between the door and the outside. I hesitate at first to push it, unaware of what I'm about to encounter, praying it's just from a gust of air from a window we stupidly left open last night, and that's why the door is slightly ajar. I take my chances and slowly push the door. Once completely open, it takes everything in me to not collapse right there on the floor. I may have a hard time remembering the events of last night, but I know how we left our apartment, and looking at it right now and seeing it the way it is makes my stomach churn. I do everything I can to walk inside even though I'm unsure if someone or something is in here right at this moment. They might be hiding in our bedroom waiting in the closet. I'm ready to jump out. I try to step in through the kitchen quietly, though wearing high heels on a tile floor is almost impossible to not attract attention. Looking around, some things appear to be normal. Same beer bottles on the living room floor, same coffee mugs in the sink from yesterday morning, but the air feels tainted. I don't know where to go first. Everywhere feels like a crime scene waiting to happen and discover. The bedroom feels like the obvious place to go first. As I make my way there, I notice the bathroom door is closed. The longer I wait out here, the more I start to get anxious. My headache is the least of my worries right now. All that matters is if there's a person there and if they're dead, alive, or waiting for me. My palms are sweating as I grasp the doorknob. Our walls are ancient, so any slight movement sets off an earthquake of noise. Lucky me. I start to slowly open the door anticipating the worst and waiting for my life to come to an end, even though dying in my 25-square-foot bathroom with dingy floors and moldy windows isn't exactly the way I want to go. The floor, the door flings open, and I immediately regret my decision. There's barely any room for me to walk as it is, and now everything is thrown around and on the ground. The towels on the hanger and over the shower rod are on the floor. Our toothbrushes are in the sink. Everything from the cabinet above the sink is thrown all over the place. The crazy thing is I have the urge to want to get on my hands and knees and clean everything up to pretend there's nothing to worry about. Right when I'm about to start picking up the aftershaves and lotion, I notice one of the tiles is sticking up from the floor. The same one with all of the money in it. The money James chose to deny to me to my face by saying we don't have any. I barely make it over everything and almost trip, but when I look over, I find that there's nothing there. All of the money and anything else that I didn't get a chance to see is gone. Whatever this person is trying to find, they certainly have a good head start. My headache has become a part of me now. I don't even notice it. The thought of someone coming in here and going through all of our things makes me want to pack up what I can in my suitcase and get the hell out of here. Then I think about James. I don't know if I can wait for him knowing my life is at stake too, but the stupid organ on my left side starts beating faster at the thought of his name, and I know I can't leave. Shit, I say to no one, at least as far as I know. 
I get up and leave everything the way it is. Not that putting it back can change anything right now. When I go back and I feel a shift, when I go back out, I feel a shift in the place. Almost like someone's moving around or hiding somewhere just waiting for me to find them. My mind is going crazy. All these thoughts coming and going, fearing the worst and not seeing the best. My mother always tells me, even on my age, at my age, to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I don't believe that those people are innocent because they know all along what they've done and they lead us on to make us feel like the bad guys. I did some fucked up shit back then and even now, but I'm a woman of my word. The only other place to check is the bedroom. Then again, there's a chance that the person can be behind the door or under the bed or in the closet. So I take my chances, go up to the door and start to open it. That's when I look inside and see it looks exactly the same as a bathroom. I can feel my legs wanting to give out. I don't even have to find the source of where all the mess is coming from. I immediately lock eyes to the closet where all of our clothes are scattered on the floor. Boxes are torn apart and the contents spill out from them. I go to dig through them to hope and pray the one thing I fear is gone is still there. But as much as I search and sweep away every item in front of me and what's left inside the closet, the gun is not there. I know it hasn't moved since I first discovered it. I check every night something James doesn't know. Now I don't know if I can get the chance to tell him. The gun is gone, and whoever has it is not keeping it for a souvenir. My body feels like stone. I can't move. I don't know whether to stay here or throw up. Our room is now a crime scene. People warn you about this type of thing happening, but you don't believe it can happen. Not to you. Television tells you it can happen to anyone, but you still ignore the message and signs. I went from feeling safe to fearing for my life just by sitting inside my own closet. I can't stay here. This no longer feels like a home. I stand up, get a bag, and start putting clothes into it. I don't even know what I'm packing. All I know is I need to get out of here fast because if the person can come in here one time, who knows if or when they can come back again. I shut the door, not wanting to see the mess. I go to the kitchen to grab the key and a half carton of cigarettes. Just as I go to pick it up, that's when I see the note. I can barely make out the words, having to squint my eyes. You're next. I let it drop to the floor. My walls suddenly feel like a million pairs of eyes staring at me. I grab everything I have quickly, dropping things here and there, slam the door, and make my way down the stairs. I do all I can to get downstairs fast, pounding the stairs in my heels that have become my second skin, my hands turning red and burning from gripping onto the railing. I finally make my way through the main entrance to see the landlord's wife still sitting outside, finishing off a pack. I go right by her. What's the rush? Going somewhere, she asks, the cigarette dangling from her mouth. I smell the smoke from behind me. I keep walking down the sidewalk. I keep walking down the stairs. Away, I tell her, almost to the sidewalk. Have fun, she says, inhaling. I have to laugh at myself. I wish that's the case. God, do I wish. Chapter 12, October 31st, 1995. The party is a bore. Every single person in sight is drunk and walking like a baby trying to take their first steps. I sit at the last seat at the bar, observing it from a distance. The grunge band on stage makes up most of the sound inside here at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel, one of the best places for live music on a weekday, holiday, or any day for that matter. Waiters dress in penguin suits with their added touch of an eye patch or cowboy hat snake through the crowd and dodge the incoming fallen soldier here and there as best as they can. I readjust my patterned silk scarf strewn across my neck when I feel a hand on my shoulder. These drinks are more watered down than a high school party with kids buying cheap booze with their fakes, James says. He hands me my old-fashioned, and I sip the liquid excuse for alcohol and place the glass down on the table. How much longer do we have to stay here, I ask him. I watch as another girl dressed as an angel runs to the bathroom to beat the vomit from coming out and getting all over the hardwood. 
Then again, it's dark enough in here for no one to know who's to blame for the mess. James sits down at the chair on the side of me and puts his hand on my thigh. Soon, I promise, he says, staring at me. And before you know it, we'll be back home with fewer tricks and a lot more treats. I grip my other hand to seat to make sure I don't fall off from potentially fainting. We've been at this party for well over a couple of hours now. Enough for me to want to change the scenery and a drink to actually give me a buzz. But tonight is strictly business. Did he say when he was going to be here, I ask? James goes into his jacket pocket and pulls out a carton of cigarettes. No, he says, putting one in between his teeth. Shouldn't be too much longer, though. I hope so. Lupo's is the hottest ticket this year for parties. Anyone who's anyone wants to score a way in. Lucky for us, we know a guy who lets us in with no problem. You see, when you've been in this business for quite some time, you learn who your friends and enemies are early on. It's a lot harder to let your guard down than having to start from scratch and rebuild your walls back up. Because once you let someone in, it's all on you whether or not you made the right decision. James offers me a cigarette and lights mine before doing his own. He keeps his face towards me, letting his eyes trace me up and down. I can't help it. I blush. Even after knowing him for just over a year, he still has his way with me. I give in every time. Who wouldn't with those eyes? One look and I forget what words are and how to breathe. I forgot to ask, what are you supposed to be for Halloween, he asks, his hand moving up the slit of my dress. I take a drag and blow out the smoke. It clouds his face. I'm a bored girl at a party waiting to go home so I can find a better use for this dress other than being on me. I smile at him. The ashes from his cigarette fall on the floor between us. He takes it out and licks his lips. Well, I have a few ideas in mind. His hand stops where my slit ends. One more move, and he'd know my costume doesn't come with underwear. I lean closer to him, separating what little space we have. No waiters or bartenders ask us if we need anything, which is fine. I get to have him all to myself with no interruptions. Tell me about it. I bite my bottom lip, waiting for him to make his next move. One side of his collar is out, so I go to fix it. The last thing I want to do is keep his shirt on. I keep my hands there a little longer than needed, tracing it down his shirt until I get to his belt. He looks at me with his crooked smile. I think those drinks might not be as watered down as we thought, he says. I laugh at him, my cheeks getting warm. I don't know what you're talking about, I say, poking him in his chest. My entire body tilts toward forward almost going into him but he catches me i think you're all set here he moves my drink away from me i'm fine i say rolling my eyes i try motioning to the bartender but james grabs my hand that's enough mauve his hand grips tight okay people around us are too busy in the conversation and drinks to notice us he lets go of me and adjusts his jacket now I'm going to go look for him to see if he's around, he says, putting his cigarette out in one of the ashtrays. Shouldn't I come with you? I go to get up to follow him, but he stops me. I think I'll do it alone. I don't want you embarrassing me in front of him. He moves away into the crowd of people, and I don't know if it's my somewhat blurry vision, but for the first time, I don't want to find him. Chapter 13 present day. The walk down my road is unbearable trying to carry everything. I do my best to try to move in these heels, hating myself for not changing into something more comfortable. Then again, anything I touch in that room now is tampering with evidence. There's no use going back there, no use calling the cops either, because our place isn't the only thing they can question. My head goes back to throbbing as I make it to the bus stop at the corner. There are a few people waiting, some sitting on the bench, doing everything in their power not to comment on my appearance. I learned a long time ago not to care what other people think of me, but it doesn't mean their glares and smirk don't cut a deep line into my already thick skin. I stand in front so I don't have to see them. Looks like someone had a good time last night, one of them says. His smoker cough has him hacking up a lung when he laughs. I roll my eyes at him, gripping my hands tighter to my suitcase. Our neighborhood is notorious for thieves. His friend chimes in. Hey, leave the poor girl alone, Sally tells him, but Sal doesn't let up. Oh, come on. 
With that kind of outfit, you're begging for something, he says, reaching out and grabbing the hem of my dress. Hate to break it to you, sweetheart, but he's not going to call you back. I drop my things and turn towards him. His handlebar mustache doesn't make up for his poorly, portly appearance. I step on his shoe with my heel and get up close to him. The only thing I'm begging for is for you to shut your mouth or I'll do it for you, I say. I deal with these kind of people all the time. The ones who get a little too handsy, who think you owe them something just because you helped them out. Like they own you. Nobody owns me. Sal puts up his hand. Sal puts his hands up towards his face in defense, as if I'm the bad guy. Jeez, lady, relax. Before I can make another remark and waste my breath, the bus arrives. I make sure I'm ahead of them and get a seat at the front. This bus is going downtown and downtown only, so if you're not going there, then tough luck, the driver announces. Apparently, no one's New Year's resolutions are to be positive or happy this year. I pay no attention to the small handful of people on the bus and look out my dingy window. The snow from last night no longer has that soft, pretty look to it. Too many cars carelessly driving into many puddles. It takes away the illusion of something perfect, something untouchable. My plan is simple. Go back downtown, go to the scene of the crime, find the car and pray no one has hijacked it and find James. I don't care how long it takes, but I'm going to find him. I have to. I need answers, and I need them now. No one, no more keeping secrets this time. The bus finally gets to my stop, and I collect my things and make my way out behind everything else. Doing my best to look as presentable as I can by patting my hair and wiping my under eyes of any stray flex mascara. No walk of shame today. Money, the driver says, holding out his hands. I go through my jacket to find some money as he sighs loudly. Sorry, I say, giving him the coins. He looks me up and down and waves his hand towards the door. I bring my jacket closer to cover me up, bracing for the cold and less judgmental stares from people passing by. And this is what it's like to be seen. I don't want it. There's no problem with worrying about others, though, as I make it off the bus. Everything in this city is closed, and everyone else is too busy nursing a hangover from the night before. I know the feeling. It's a ghost town walking the streets. All businesses and shops have their lights off and closed signs up. Barely a car on the street. For a city that thrives off the hustle and bustle of everyday life, being able to hear your own thoughts and sound of your heels stepping along the concrete is eerie. The kind of silence you wish can be interrupted by noise. But as I round the corner, I come face to face with the reason for why things are the way they are. The Biltmore Hotel is completely blocked off. No way of getting down the street with caution tape surrounding its entirety. Without even having made a step, a police officer approaches me. I immediately stiffen up. Excuse me, ma'am, but I'm afraid you're not allowed down here, he tells me. He's wearing sunglasses on a cloudy day. There's one thing I've learned from my years of doing what I do, it's this. Always play dumb around cops. I'm not proud of this, and I'm not encouraging this behavior. But there's nothing a man in a high power of authority, authority hates more than a woman who thinks she's his equal. I play the part so well, it scares me sometimes. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry, officer, I say, batting my eyes. It's just, you see, I left my car here last night and was hoping to grab it. I tuck a piece of my hair behind my ear. He relaxes his stance while putting his hands in his pockets. You mean to tell me you were around this area last night when all this happened, he asks. And just like that, I have my way out of this. I shrug my shoulders and tilt my head down towards the sidewalk. My toes are white from the cold. I was, it was just awful, so awful. I can't even think about it, I say, waving my hands. The officer tries to console me. Easy, miss, easy. Everything's going to be okay, he says softly. His human side makes an appearance as he puts a hand on my shoulder. But no positivity can steady me when I'm already too riled up from inside. I smile. It'll be a lot better if I can just get my car, I say, as he keeps his hand there a little too long for my liking. Even in times of despair, I still have people giving me the fuck-me eyes. He turns around to check his surroundings to see if anyone's around. He leans in closer to me like, until I can almost see my reflection in his sunglasses. Normally, I'm not supposed to do this, but you look like someone I can trust, he explains, motioning for me to follow him. Oh, thank you, sir, I tell him, trying hard to keep it together. It's not every day you meet a dumb cop. We make it towards the front entrance of the Biltmore. It's completely covered up with tape. The golden doors don't have the same shine they usually do. 
The red velvet carpeting is dirty. It feels like a lifetime that I went through that entrance. I wish I can go inside. Maybe it has the answers I need. But James is some, maybe James is somewhere in there. But I don't get the chance to find out as the cop moves me along. All right, now you have yourself a good day, he says, taking me all the way down the road and away from the scene. I appreciate it, officer. I, st- I start to walk away when he speaks. And if you have any information from last night, please don't hesitate to tell, he says, moving his feet in place. Any little bit helps. I turn back towards him. Of course, I say. I smile and keep walking, but not enough to be an earshot of him talking to another officer through his walkie-talkie. No, there hasn't been anyone to come forward yet, but we'll find them, he says, moving his feet in the other direction. Yes, one male and one female believed to have been in possession of the now-missing diamond. I don't... I didn't check to see if he's still behind me as I run faster to get down the street and away from that conversation. Because not only is James a suspect, but I am too. Except this time... I have a bigger chance of getting caught now that I just flirted my way into danger. And that's where we're going to leave off for this episode, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoy doing this and reading these. Um, And yeah, I hope you guys have a good rest of your week. And if you want to hear what happens next, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Bye, guys.